And thank you so much for being here this evening. I appreciate it. We had a great afternoon class. And uh, we are going to be tonight in Isaiah chapter 65. Now, if you know the book at all, you know that we only have one more chapter after tonight. Hard to believe. In some ways, it seems like we started this, bo this book just a couple weeks ago. In some ways, it seems like a couple years ago. But what a journey it has been. A blessed journey. I'm going to read for you Isaiah 65 and verse 1. And then I'll pray. And I'll ask God to bless and meet with us. Isaiah 65, 1. I am sought of them that asked not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, Behold me, behold me, unto a nation that was not called by my name. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your love and your blessing. Lord, your faithfulness, faithful to all generations. Lord, that excites me because I know that you're going to be faithful to my grandkids. Lord, I pray that this evening you might meet with us. We need you, once again, Spirit of God, to work in our hearts, to lead us and guide us, to quicken our minds, to help us to understand what you would have for us from this chapter. And we'll thank you for it, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin to wind the book down, it's kind of good to just think back over the previous chapters and some of the, uh, some of the trials we've been through. The first 39 chapters, in fact, primarily trials. The, uh, the judgments that God was laying out for his people, for Israel, and then primarily Judah, and uh, warning them of uh, the impending judgment to come because of their wickedness. In spite of his warnings, continuing to give them the merciful opportunity to repent. But of course, we know from history that they did not repent and that they faced the various the, uh, judgments, uh, first the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and many years later, the Romans. And so now we're mostly at this stage looking back on, uh, on the judgments from the perspective of being in the millennium. And the last few weeks we've been pretty much in the millennium looking back, and what a blessed time it's been. It's been nice to catch our breath and to get out of the judgments for a while, and and to enjoy the life in the millennium. And for me and my study in this, this time through Isaiah, it's given me such a, an excitement over what it's going to be like in the millennium. I don't know that I've ever had a great understanding of what life is going to be like in the millennium. And so it's been fun to realize it's going to be a blessed, blessed time. And so now we're finishing up the, uh, the book, and so let's look at... Uh, Roman numeral 1, if you're taking notes, is Israel's wicked condition. Israel's wicked condition. The book is not quite finished yet, and neither is God finished with reminding Israel where they are currently. As they receive the prophecy of Isaiah, as God gives it to the prophet Isaiah, it is during a time of utter wickedness. I've mentioned it numbers of times, but even the priests are leading the people not only in idolatry, but in drunkenness. Just horrible, horrible uh, spiritual state. And letter A is Gentiles have been more responsive to God than the Jews, which is phenomenal. God opens this chapter by declaring a truth about the Gentiles. 
though they had not been called as his people, and though they had not collectively tried to find him, they had been responsive to the gospel when presented with it. Sadly, the Gentiles had responded and had found the true God through his son Jesus, while his own people, the Jews, are still looking because of their rejection of Christ. In Romans 10.20 it says, But Esaias, or Isaiah, is very bold, and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. Of course, that's the Gentiles. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. 1 Peter 2, verse 10, which in time past were not a people, again, the Gentiles, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Why? Because they responded to the call of Christ. Verse 2, I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people. Here, see God, and he's putting his arms out, welcoming them. All the day he spread his arms out, which walketh in a way that was not good, after their own thoughts. Letter B, God had opened his arms to his own people, but with little response. God had continually sought to welcome his people into himself with open arms, but Israel was determined to follow their own sinful ways apart from him. When one of my girls was very small, I don't remember which one, but one of them, and they were just starting to toddle. My mother-in-law, now who's in heaven, bless her heart, um, <laughs> she, she was brokenhearted because she tried her best to win that child over, but when she spoke, it scared the child instead of drawing her. So she's like this, and the little toddler would always run away. And that didn't last real long, you know, a few months and that was over, that stage was over. But for some reason, mom could not win that particular child over. I think she, she had a very low voice and I think it was just her voice kind of scared her away. Here's God. He's got his arms out. He's welcoming his people. He's calling his people into him. He's offering all these amazing blessings as his people. He wants to be their father. And they routinely reject him. In Romans 10:1, but Israel, to Israel he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Of course, Matthew 23, 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her children under her wings, and ye would not. Verse 3. A people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face, that sacrificeth in gardens, and burneth incense upon altars of brick. Now, if you know the Bible very much, you know that God was very specific in where he wanted his people to bring their sacrifices. He was very specific. And here it says they were sacrificing wherever, gardens here. Letter C, Israel stirred God's anger by their open idolatry. What they were doing was not worshiping Jehovah God at all. They were worshiping their false gods. While God was encouraging Israel to come to him, they were busy worshiping their own gods. Many had built altars in their backyards on which to sacrifice to their gods. They also burned incense to their abominations. No wonder God said that he had been provoked to anger. 
They were utterly disrespecting him in front of his face. Ezekiel 20, verse 28. For when I had brought them into the land, for the which I lifted up mine hand to give it to them, then they saw every high hill and all the thick trees, and they offered theirs the sacrifices. And there they presented the provocation of their, their offering. There also they made their sweet savor and poured out there their drink offerings. Verse 4. Which remain among the, grove, the graves and lodge in the monuments, which eat swine's flesh and broth of abominable things is in their vessels. Letter D. God's people were committing abominable acts. To God, <laughs> eating pork was an abomination. I'm so glad that I was not a Jew. So glad because I love bacon. I love bacon. I love ham. I love pork loin. My wife had this long pork loin that she cooked for my mother and daughter, my mother and sister um, uh, last night, and it was delicious. I love pork. And I'm thinking, any self-respecting Jew would like pork as well. Now, can you imagine a Jew walking by a Gentile's home, and the bacon is sizzling, and the smell is wafting out? Can you imagine? That would be so hard to have to deny your, your appetite for that delicious food. And yet God said no. God said, no, you cannot have it. And here is a, is a in-your-face to God when they chose to eat these abominations. There were some in Israel who spent their time trying to communicate with the dead. They would often spend their nights sleeping on the graves, hoping to speak with the departed. They ignored the law of Moses, including its dietary regulations. They would eat pork and soups made from abominations like pork. Possibly they had pork. They might have had shrimp, they might have had lobster. All these things that many of us say are delicious, they could not have because of the Jewish dietary laws. But since they're rebellious against God anyway, they're going to eat whatever they want. In Deuteronomy 14.3, it says, Thou shalt not eat any abominable thing. Verse 5, which say, Stand by thyself. Come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. These are a smoke in my face, in my nose, a fire that burneth all the day. Letter E, their commitment to their gods gave them a superiority. We can hear the language of the self-righteous man here, arrogantly elevating himself above the rest. Somehow he believes he has attained a level of spirituality higher than those around him. In light of the previous verses, his acts would certainly be irritating to God. Some of the pagan practices, of, including initiations, included, um, uh, included initiations in their cults that would leave them believing they were holier and more righteous than other less enlightened Jews. This was interesting. They were so interesting. They had gotten so perverted in their thinking once they joined these cults and they went through the initiations, they were made to feel superior. They would come back to their Jewish friends putting their nose up, thinking they were so much better because they had been initiated into the club and these Jews were not. But the club was pagan. It was wicked. 
but it made them feel superior. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 21, they have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities, and I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. In other words, I'm going to use the Gentile nations to judge them, is what he's saying. Verse 6, Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silence, but will recompense, even recompense into their bosom. Letter F. God declared he would not overlook their wickedness. It is written before me, he said. We don't know what it is. There was some kind of a list he was looking at. It's possibly a list of Israel's sins. God said he would not allow them to go unpunished. He would recompense or make it right by judging them. He would not allow their wickedness to go without facing judgment. In Jeremiah 16, 18, it says, At first I will recompense their iniquity and their sin double, because they have defiled my land. They have filled mine inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable and abominable things. Verse 7. God says, Your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, saith the Lord, which have burned incense upon the mountains, and blasphemed me upon the hills. Therefore will I measure their former work into their bosom. Now, though this may not be written real easy to understand, keep in mind we're talking about people who, as they receive this prophecy, are worshiping false gods. They're going into the groves, they're going to the high places, and they're offering animals in sacrifice to their false gods. They're burning incense to their false gods. And God is, is going to be judging them here. Letter G, Israel's idolatry pollution had stretched over generations. This was not new. It had been going on for generations. The sins of God's people had been going on for many generations. God had been offended at their devotion to their gods and their avoidance of Him. They had gone to their high places to burn incense and sacrifice to their gods. Therefore, God would repay them for their evil deeds. Jeremiah 7.20 says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, mine anger and my fury shall be poured out upon this place, upon man and upon beast, and upon the trees of the field, and upon the fruit of the ground, and it shall burn and shall not be quenched. Number two, a remnant for the millennium. A remnant. I asked the afternoon class, were there any seamstresses there? Anybody who, who, uh, who makes clothing? And Brenda raised her hand. I said, Brenda, tell me what a remnant is. And she very quickly said, a remnant is that which is left over. It's the leftover fabric. Leftover. I thought for a moment. I said, you know what? That's very apt. Very appropriate. A leftover. A remnant. What was the remnant of God's people? It were those who were left over who still worshipped Jehovah God. Those who had not walked away to false gods, those who had not fallen to idolatry, they were the leftovers, the one who still remained faithful to Jehovah. Letter A, God would not destroy the whole nation, but would save a remnant. In verse number 8, thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, destroy it not for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servants' sakes, that I may not destroy them all. 
The new wine is found in the cluster. Don't destroy it all. Don't, don't destroy all the grapes. Using an analogy from the vineyard, God warned the workers to not destroy the entire crop because there are still some good grapes that could be salvaged. It was either at the end of the grape season and most of the good grapes had already been harvested or it was a particularly bad year for the grapes with only a few clusters worth salvaging. God illustrated how that among the wicked nation of Israel there was still a righteous group of leftovers, a remnant, if you will. They were not to destroy the whole for the benefit of the few. Jeremiah 30, verse 11 says, For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee. Though I make a full end of nations, whither I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. But I will correct thee in measure, and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. Verse 9. And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob, and out of Judah an inheritor of my mountains, and mine elect shall inherit it and my servants shall dwell there. Letter B, God would spare a seed that would inherit the fullness of his promise. From his wicked people who were currently indulging themselves in idolatry, God would raise up a seed that would be blessed and eventually inherit the fullness of the promised land, that which was initially promised to Abraham, that which has not been fully inherited even today and will not be until the millennium. That seed would come to pass leading into the millennium under the rule of Messiah. They will inherit their possessions at that time and his servants will dwell there. Amos 9, 11 and 12, In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof. I will raise up his ruins. I will build it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord, that doeth this. Verse 10. And Sharon shall be a fold of flocks, and the valley of Achor a place for the herds to lie down in, for my people that have sought me. When I say the word Sharon in the Bible, what comes to mind? The rose, the rose of Sharon. Of course, a beautiful depiction of Jesus Christ. What about the Valley of Achor? Does that ring any bells? What happened in the Valley of Achor? Remember? It was known as the Valley of Trouble. Man was stoned there. Partaking of the accursed thing. You need more clues? <laughs> Who was that man? Achan, yeah, Achan was stoned there for taking the accursed thing. And they're called it the Valley of Achor or the Valley of Trouble. Letter C, Israel will be a peaceful place during the millennium. During the time of the Lord's reign, in the millennium, Israel will experience great peace, allowing them to safely keep their sheep in the lowlands of Sharon, which would not be possible today. And the area known as the place of trouble would be protected place for their herds. The valley of Achor was where Achan was stoned for his disobedience. The place had taken the name of the valley of trouble. However, in that day, the trouble will be no more. 
This blessing will be particularly for those of God's people who had sought him. Joshua 7, 26, And they raised over him, over Achan, a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. Number three, Israel's condition and judgment. Their condition and judgment, obviously their condition was bad enough to bring a judgment. Verse 11, But ye are they that forsake the Lord, that forget my holy mountain, that prepare a table for that troop, and that furnish the drink offering unto that number. Letter A. In Isaiah's day, God's people had forgotten their God. They had forgotten Him. He says, in verse number 11, Ye are they that forsake the Lord, that forget my holy mountain. Now this was interesting when I read this. They forget this holy mountain. They forget Him. Now we read throughout that throughout this time, they did not neglect, overall, they didn't neglect going to the temple. They did not neglect giving their offerings at the temple, bringing their offerings, even worshiping and, and uh, celebrating their feasts. They kept all of those things going so that they could make their religious checkboxes. So they could say, we're doing everything right. But as they went to the temple, bringing their animal for Jehovah God, they might as well bring another animal because in the very temple of Jehovah was also a temple erected to Baal. And they could worship Baal at the same time. So they could make two checks. Check Jehovah, check Baal, and take care of that. See, so they didn't forget God. They simply relegated God over to somebody who wouldn't care to share his place. So he's going to share as a God with Baal. Of course, God says, you forgot me. Because they had forgotten him. They forgot who he was. God looked to his people in Isaiah's day and was disgusted. They had forsaken him, his law, and his temple. Instead, they were serving their wicked pagan deities. They were following those called that troop, those who were bound to those gods and sacrificing them. In Jeremiah 17, 13, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of the living waters. And I don't want to go to seed on this at all, but I think we're living in a day today where we are worshiping Jehovah God and our own gods. I think somehow it's not like we're forgetting God. But I think as Christianity, oftentimes we're also worshiping our own gods. Well, well, we'll worship God, and as long as God fits into our plans, that's good, but we'll also worship at the God of filthy lucre, money. God says, I'm disgusted. Verse number 12, Therefore will I number you to the sword, and ye shall all bow down to the slaughter. Because when I called, ye did not answer. When I spake, ye did not hear, but did evil before mine eyes, and did choose that wherein I delighted not. Letter B, God's people refused to hear. 
Therefore, God gave them over to judgment. He pronounced judgment upon Israel for their wickedness. He would turn them over to the cruel punishment of Gentile nations called the sword in Psalm 17, 13. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, eventually the Romans would all bring the sword over them in judgment. God had clearly spoken to Israel, but they had refused to listen and continued on in their idolatry. In Zechariah chapter 7, verse 11, it says, But they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped the ears that they should not hear. Yea, they have made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts hath sent in his spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it has come to pass that as he cried and they would not hear, so they cried, and I would not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. Verse 13. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, my servants shall eat, but ye shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but ye shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but ye shall be ashamed. Letter C. God will bless his servants and judge his rebellious family. God mentions two groups, his servants and those he will judge. In light of the opening discussion about Gentiles, it's probable that the reference here is to believing Gentiles and rebellious Israel. While God blesses those who have submitted by faith to him, his servants, he will prosper and richly bless while those bearing his name but unbelieving and unsubmitted will face his wrath. Verse 14, Behold, my servants shall sing for joy of heart, but ye shall cry for sorrow of heart, and shall howl for vexation of spirit. Letter D, God's servants will sing for joy, while the rebellious will cry aloud in agony. Now this continues the previous thought. God blesses his faithful ones while bringing judgment upon the rebellious that had every opportunity but ignored them. An illustration of this would be while the churches were prospering in this country and lifting up their voices in praise to the Lord, at the same time, Jews were facing the horrors of the Holocaust. In Jeremiah 24, 9, I will deliver them to be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth for their hurt, to be a reproach and a proverb, a taunt and a curse in all places whither I shall drive them. I found it interesting, the first part of the verse, it says, my servants shall sing for joy of heart. My servants shall sing. Why? For joy of heart. As their heart is filled with joy, the expression of that will be singing. Now, right before I presented this this afternoon, I had this thought. I shared it with them. I oftentimes wish we could get a, a, greater, a greater zeal in our congregational singing to where it really feels like we're worshiping God. It really is, 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 is God's people lifting their voice, their heart, their very soul to God in worship. I said to myself as I read through this, what was it that made my servants 
sang. It was joy of heart. Okay, well, that made sense. Then I got to thinking, I think we're taking our services schedule backwards. If the servants of the Lord will sing for joy, then how do we get their joy in the hearts? I think we need to start the service with the invitation. I think we need to play I Surrender All as people are coming in. And they need to spend some time in their souls as if we were having the Lord's Supper. And, and just, just having a, a time with the Lord of confession, of drawing their hearts closer to the Lord so they can be prepared. And then Isaac comes up and says, let's all stand and sing together at Calvary or whatever it is. Guess what? If our hearts are prepared, the result should be singing for joy. So what is it that produces joy in the life of the believer? Salvation, Salvation that's great. It's being saved. Yeah, what else? Obedience. Obedience brings joy to a believer. What else? Yeah, yeah. Because if you're not, you're not going to be filled with joy. What else? Close relationship with Christ. Right. What's a, what? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Yeah. Those are good. What else? I love for God's word. I like that. What is it that produces joy? What I'm thinking of is joy in the Bible is oftentimes mentioned in a list. Ah. Isn't joy part of the fruit of the Spirit? So would I not be wrong in saying, would I be right in saying, if I'm filled with the Spirit, would I also be filled with joy? And if I'm not filled with the Spirit, I will not have joy. Because joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And if the Spirit is filling me, then joy will be there. Therefore, what does the song leader need to do? He needs to get the people filled with the Spirit. <laughs> How's that happen? The only way we get filled with the Spirit of God is by yielding completely to Him, His leading. I surrender all. Which takes me back. I think we've messed up the service. <laughs> Not really. But I think in order for us to have the fullness of a worship service, our hearts need to be right with God. And, and I think what we've possibly done is we've said, oh, by the time the preaching is here, Hopefully the singing will get our hearts right with God, but I'm not sure that's the way it works. I think we should come in, be thinking, okay, I need to get right with God. I need to make sure that I'm right with God because as soon as I sing that first word, I need to do it as an expression of my love for God, which only comes, if it's real, as an expression of joy in my heart. Enough said. God's servants will sing for joy while the rebellious will cry aloud in agony. 
Verse 15, And ye shall leave your name for a curse unto my chosen. For the Lord God shall slay thee and his servants by another name. Letter E, the name Jew has brought disdain because of God's judgment upon them. To be called a Jew throughout history often meant a curse, as they were frequently a persecuted people throughout the centuries. Europe exterminated many Jews in the 19th century, and Hitler did so in the 20th. Sadly, the Lord makes it very clear that he is behind their persecutions. Their wickedness and refusal to submit themselves to him brought about their harsh judgment. Those who choose instead to embrace the Lord and trust in him will be called by another name. I believe that name today is Christian. In Isaiah 62, 2, And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Number four, a blessed future. A blessed future. Verse 16, that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of the truth. And he that sweareth in the earth shall swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten, and because they are hid from mine eyes. Letter A, in that day, God's people will again call on their true God. With a look to the future, those asking for a blessing will appeal to the God of truth, the one true God. No more will they call upon the imaginations of the men in their, in their idolatry, but in the one who called them from the beginning. They will look back with thanksgiving at God's incredible mercy in choosing to forget their sinful past. In the millennium, God's people will once again have their focus on him. Jeremiah 4, 2. And thou shalt swear, the Lord liveth in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. And the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. Verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall be not be remembered, nor come into mind. A lot said in this verse. Letter B. God will cause the memories of their sinful past to be erased. I see something in this verse that God's going to do that I don't think I would have done. In the future, sometime in the future, God says, I'm going to erase your memory of your wicked past. You see, if I were God, I would keep that there to use as leverage. And I would say if they ever started messing around, I'd say, remember how bad you were? Let me show you. And he would bring that back up again. But if that were the case, he'd be acting like the devil, the accuser, not God. God is merciful. God will cause the memories of their sinful past to be erased. God directs the attention to the time beyond the millennium, the time of the destruction of the heavens and the earth and the creation of the new. He will apparently wipe all memories of their sinful past, leaving their minds completely free to worship him. Revelation 21, 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Verse 18, But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, and her people 
a joy. Letter C, God's new heavens and new earth will be filled with joy and rejoicing. I don't think God can say that about Jerusalem today. I don't think that God sees his people, he doesn't say they're filled with joy and rejoicing, and I'm rejoicing over them today. That's not the case today. But there will be a day in which God just ju does joy over his people. God's new creation is going to be beyond our imagination. It will be a place of rejoicing and great joy forever. Sin will be no more along with all of its painful associates. Isaiah 12, 4. In that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his doings among the people. And make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Verse 19. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be heard no more in her, nor the voice of crying. Letter D, God will find great delight in his people in that day. The new Jerusalem, enjoying the presence of the Savior of the world, will no longer hear weeping or crying. As joy and laughter will fill the streets in that blessed day, God himself will rejoice over his redeemed people making it incredibly joyous. Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. So blessed will God be in his own people. He breaks out singing. He's so full of joy. Verse 20. Notice these words carefully. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die an hundred years old, but the sinner being an hundred years old shall be accursed. Letter E, the millennium will enjoy longer lifespans. Apparently, during the millennium, infant death will no longer be a problem. Nor will premature deaths of older men. God will grant during that age healthy lives, living a fullness of days. This passage seems to suggest that a man's lifespan will revert back to that before the flood. A man at 100 will be considered just a child. However, during the millennium, sin will not be tolerated. For a sinner at 100 will experience a curse, possibly death. Verse 21, And they shall build houses, and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards, and eat the fruit of them. Letter F, the millennium will be a time of blessed living. During the time of millennium, life will go on with houses being built and inhabited. It will be a time where gardens will grow prolifically. Homeowners will enjoy the bounty of the earth like no time since the Garden of Eden. When you have a garden, your garden will produce fruit and vegetables, the likes of which you can't begin to imagine. It'll be like that which they experienced in the Garden of Eden. Wonderful, wonderful product, produce. Verse 22, they shall not build and another inhabit, 
they shall not plant and another eat, for as the days of a tree are the days of my people. I'm going to say that again, and you think what that means. The days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Letter G, long life and secure living will characterize the millennium. During the millennium, people will enjoy long lifetimes. No longer will they have to worry about being displaced by enemies. They will live securely, suggesting they will live as long as a tree. How long do trees last? Well, I told the folks this afternoon, not that long in my backyard. I've lost two of them already, but, but trees can last a long, long time. Many, many hundreds and hundreds of years. Isaiah 62, 9, But they that have gathered it shall eat it and praise the Lord. And they that have brought it together shall drink it in the courts of my holiness. Verse 23, They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble. For they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. So offspring is, becomes the subject of the verse. Letter H, babies will not die prematurely as the millennium will be blessed of the Lord. Their work will be prosperous in that day. No longer will they face the invasions of enemies destroying their land and stealing their crops. No longer will they deliver babies that would face sudden death. They will deliver in complete safety and protection because the Lord will bless them in that day along with their children. Verse 24, And it shall come to pass that before they call, <laughs> I will answer. How soon will God answer their prayers? <laughs> before they call. And while they're yet speaking, I will hear. Letter I, God's people will enjoy a remarkable prayer life in that day. Can you imagine the prayer life in that day? They go to kneel down, their prayer's answered. <laughs> they, they, they pull out their prayer list. It's all answered. <laughs> it's incredible. Verse 25, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and the dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, saith the Lord. Letter J, the earth will return to a garden of Eden paradise. In the glorious day of the millennium, the curse upon creation will finally be lifted. Apparently, the earth will return to its garden of Eden state. Animals will no longer prey on each other. They will cohabitate peacefully. Even snakes, and he mentions snakes specifically, as eating dust. Now, I thought about this. How can a snake survive on dust? Now, perhaps some of you know the answer. My only conclusion was, we're talking about the millennium, when the earth will have its curse removed, meaning the soil will be so incredibly fertile. Is it possible that simply by eating the dust, the snake will receive all the vital nutrients it needs to survive? I don't know. I'm just guessing on that one. In Isaiah 11, 6 and following, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. Notice, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, 
Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And I have to ask myself, where are their parents? Let them to play with these poisonous snakes until you understand that they have no fear. There's no, nothing to worry about because the curse will be removed at that time. What a glorious time. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love and your blessing. And thank you for giving us Isaiah chapter 65. Lord, we're almost done with the book. And I enter this time with such bittersweet emotion. Lord, I'm so grateful to be at this point, but I'm going to miss the times we spent here. I pray, Lord, that you might help us. Help us to keep our eyes focused on the fact that you are a sovereign God. And that we need not get all worried about the, the chaotic events of life today because you have a beautiful future all planned and you're in control. Lord, help us in the days that you give us remaining to live our lives completely for you. And Lord, help us to be filled with the Spirit as we do so. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.